Hello there, it's us again. Uh, my name's Alison and I'm with my great nephew Connor. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, the history of World War One and World War Two and its consequences. Um, myself and Connor have got mutual interest in history and politics. The views that we express are our own and we're not affiliated to any organisation. Uh, what's uh, interesting about us is that um, we were born in the same month, but 40 years apart. So we've got very different perspectives on the topics that we're discussing. So do you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's perfect that we're actually using this topic for our history podcast today, because obviously it is Remembrance Sunday. Um, I'm sure that all of our listeners have been at remembrance parades in the local town centres or villages. Um, so we want to start off with World War One. So obviously, um, we, we, everyone knows, well I'm sure many people know anyway, that the kind of tipping point for the start of World War One was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Um, now the question is, how this Austrian duke somewhere on mainland Europe caused so so much so so big of a loss of life in Britain. I mean, the British people didn't probably didn't even know that Archduke Franz Ferdinand existed before his assassination. Um so that's the biggest question. Um as a as I recently studied history at GCSE it was actually part of our curriculum to, you know, go over the main causes of World War One. Um and that's how we remembered it with the term main um, so that stands for militarism, uh, the alliance system, imperialism, and nationalism. And then four main causes arguably sparked the First World War. Um, now, if you didn't know what some of them terms meant, we'll start with militarism. So militarism is, you know, the building up of your armed forces, army, navy, air force. Um, however, the air force was further limited at the beginning of World War One. so it's, yeah... Um, and then we go on to the alliance system, and so the alliance system was two arm caused two armed camps in Europe. So the first alliance of the alliance system was the dual alliance between Austria, Hungary, and Germany, um, and then that eventually turned into what they called the triple alliance, including Italy in that. Um, and then on the Allied side, you know the the side which many of our ancestors fought on. Um, the first alliance was the Franco-Russian alliance, um, obviously between France and Russia, um, and then there was all, and then there was in 1904 what they called the Entente Cordiale, which is a friendly agreement, and that was between Britain and France, and then finally 1907 you've got the Triple Entente, which is France, Britain, and Russia. And what's significant and fairly memorable for me is the last major battle. That obviously other than World War Two, but it's the last major battle that Britain, France, and Russia, you know, st- was allies, um, which is quite quite interesting uh, in the wider range of things. So I'm sure we all have ancestors that have um, you know fought and died in the war, whether you know them or known of them. Um, I know me personally, my great 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 granddad, he was in World War One. John Joseph Smith. Um, he survived the war, thankfully, um, and then later he was a bus driver. Um, I'm just wondering, Auntie Allison, if you have any ancestors that 
Hi, I do, and there's not any grates in it, really. Um, so on my paternal, my paternal grandfather uh, served in the First World War, and he actually lied about his age and went into the army, actually under the age of eighteen, which seems quite terrible to us now in these days. Um, I'm not quite sure where he served. His name was Gilbert Swift. And he did serve in the trenches and he was actually gassed uh, through the mustard gas. He never spoke about the war that I can remember, but I'm sure it did have some very severe consequences for him. Yeah, and I mean, the consequences were massive for even those that didn't fight in the war. Um, I know um, an uncle of mine, um, Rick Harrison, He his granddad actually fought in the Battle of the Somme. Um, and was one of the very few people that survived the bloodbath. Um, which brings us on to the song. Um, I think it's important that we talk about what was named the bloodiest battle of World War One, and arguably in the history of war. Um, so the Battle of the Somme was led by General Haig in 1916, um, and the idea was it start with an eight-day initial bombardment of the German trenches, you know, with, with um, just constantly firing at the German side. And the idea was that after this eight-day initial bombardment, the German trenches would be so destroyed that the British would be able to walk across Norman's land and just take the land. Um, this failed. Uh, I'd usually say spoiler alert, but I don't think you can spoil history. No. Um, so what happened was... Um, the British, um, the sorry, the British bombshells were faulty. Some of them didn't even explode. The ones that did explode were aimed wrongly, and so they was hitting the barbed wire, tangling it all up, which made it even more difficult to cross no man's land. Um, one of the main reasons for the for the Somme's failure is that the uh, the Germans actually knew that the offensive was coming um, due to the early planes of World War One flying over and collecting reconnaissance. So the Germans, whilst all this bombing and, you know, all this explosion, all these explosions were happening, they were underground in concrete trenches, so very, very few of them actually died from the eight-day initial bombardment. Um, after the eight days, General Haig sent his, um, sent the British and a few French soldiers over the tops, as it, as it was called, um, and they were butchered. It was a bloodbath. Um, the Germans crawled out of their uh, concrete bunkers and shot them down. Um, millions died at the Somme. Uh, General Haig got wind of this and sent more. Sent more and more and more. He, he earned the nickname the Butcher of the Somme. And a famous quote by many of the newspapers at the time was used, um, lions led by donkeys, suggesting that British military leadership wasn't the best at the time. Do we know why that was? Was there an element of arrogance that he thought they thought they were superior to the German army? Well, How did they get it so wrong? Because there was quite... At the beginning of the war, there was the... Wasn't it, oh, it'll be over by Christmas, was the, yeah. the saying? and by both sides, yeah. What we've got to remember about World War One is the first war of its kind. Mm. I mean, before this, people were still fighting with swords and shields. So, 
the, the military leaders who will have been experienced in old-fashioned war won't be as experienced as they were in a different kind of war. So the uh, one argument is, an alternative argument, is that the military leaders did the best that they possibly could with the knowledge that they had. Um, General Haig himself argued that without the Somme, then the war wouldn't have been won. The, the loss of life was necessary to break the war of attrition. Um, so, I mean... Yeah, it, I did mean, it? Did it succeed in breaking the war of attrition? It depends which side of the argument you're on. Um, mm. Some people argue that it did because, you know, it killed many German soldiers as well as British. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was tragic. A tragic loss of life. Um, and there's so many battles that we can go over for World War One: Verdun, Passchendaele... Mm. I think I'll skip to Passchendaele because it's one of the memorable battles for me. It was deemed the muddiest battle of World War One. Um, so Passchendaele happened, and excuse my pronunciation. Um, I'm, yeah, it, it's a it's a Belgium location. Um, it's I, I can't. Do you know what? I'll spell it Y P Eep. Yeah, that's it. The the hills of Eep, and. It had suffered the heaviest rainfall in 30 years, causing the ground to turn to liquid mud. Um, more soldiers actually died in this battle by drowning in thick mud than they did, you know, off the weapon of, of the opposing side. So it truly was an awful war. Mm. I mean, all wars are awful, mm. but it, it was truly horrible. And these are young men. These are young men that were tasked with, you know, saving the future, if 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 you will. Um, so on that on that saving the future and moving on, I think it's only right that we move to World War Two and recognise the Second World War. Uh, Could I, I just interject if you don't mind? Oh just, no, I don't mind. Um, so there was in both wars. There's been these big campaigns to get people to to sign up yeah. to be part of the army. Um, and big like propaganda campaigns, and I just wondered, and, and we went to the remembrance service this morning. That was it through the faith, through religion, which was much stronger in them days, much more prevalent than it is now. Was it having a faith and a trust in God, if you believe that, that got you through, got so- you to be able to? Give the ultimate sacrifice. I suppose that that is a massive, mm. you know, motivator for someone to go through them conditions and get them through it. I think also, um, I think there was an expectation of yeah, men. Absolutely. So there's a very famous old film called The Three White Feathers, and people, women and men, used to send white feathers to other men, to other people as a sign of saying, you're a coward because you're not signed up. Yeah. So there was probably a tremendous amount of pressure for you to, to cons- conscript. Well, that, and I think another thing is this kind of British stiff upper lip. Absolutely. King and country, you know, yeah. you do your duty, duty. and, you, and you, duty. you save your, your king. Yeah. Um, so I think that was also, like, a major motivator to get them through the war. The sense of nationalism and self-identity of the British people. And do you think that was still at the beginning of the Second World War? I think it was. I think it did carry through to the Second World War. Um, 
I mean, look at VE Day on the 8th of May, 45. Um, you know, you had people dancing and, you know, yeah. laughing outside of Buckingham Palace. It was... The monarch, I mean, arguably still to this day, is a major motivator for many British people. Yeah. Um, and it's important to recognise that, that, you know, the monarchy and the kings and leaders did actually play a massive yeah. part. So what was the catalyst for the start of the second? We've just been through, well, yeah. in relatively short number of years, this awful, awful war, awful war. So why, I can't remember, is it nine, 11 years later? 12, 21 years later, yeah. 39. Um, so what was the start of it? Now, like, there's no... In the same as World War One. there's no, like, clear this is what started World War Two, But what dragged Britain into World War Two was um, the Nazis' invasion of Poland. Um, so, obviously, Neville Chamberlain, uh, the Prime Minister before Sir Winston Churchill, he was trying to keep the peace. He was, you know, a, a peacekeeper... When then when Winston Churchill got in, he was like, we're not standing for this, this isn't right. Um, the, the famous term, never surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when Hitler invaded Poland, it was the final, it, it, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. And it was, right, we're not standing for this. So, I mean, that's one reason we can argue it was started. Another reason is Hitler's rise to power and... He, he challenged, you know, I mean, at the time, the British was, like, arguably the most powerful in the world, the British Empire. Hitler was challenging that British Empire mm-hmm. with his own kind of, you know... Yeah. Building Build up of his own... Yeah. Yeah. Um, he also brought the Treaty of Versailles, which was a massive reason for the for the start of World War Two. Do you think the Allies, as we call them, do you think they were any way responsible? I think they are, and I think... I, as we speak about, you know, future historians judging our current society, I think it's now our job to judge that. Mm. The Treaty of Versailles was, put it this way, people that actually witnessed the Treaty of Versailles have said, have, have, have said after leaving that, that a few of the German representatives were crying when they read the terms. It destroyed Germany as a country. Um... So one of them was Germany's um, Germany's army. I think it was limited to, I think, 100,000. Now, bear in mind, before World War One, Germany's army was at 2 million, and it's been limited to 100,000 men. It, that That's unbelievable. It's humiliating. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, they weren't allowed a navy. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think they were allowed an air force either. And Hitler broke all of these things. Now... I think the Allies' toughness in the Treaty of Versailles was to keep Germany down, especially from the French point of view. The French had lost to their own tactics. I mean, the, the Franco-Prussian War before Germany formed as a as a one country. The Prussians used Napoleon's tactics to beat the French, so that was humiliating for the French. Um, and so the French were like, right, well, we've lost twice to the Germans already. We do not want to lose again. And so it was this thing of stripping them down to nothing. Mm. Um, and also, they weren't allowed... Uh, they weren't allowed, you know, to... Uh, they weren't allowed soldiers, sorry, in the Ruhr or the Rhineland. Now, this was... The, the Rhineland... Uh, sorry, I think I'm getting my names mixed up. doesn't matter. One, one of the two. Um, these were, like, massive industrial places for Germany. 
and when they couldn't pay the six point six billion pounds in reparations, the French and the Belgians invaded the Ruhr, um, and they bullied the Germans working there. So, the rise of Hitler is a topic in itself. Mm. So it's it's difficult not to get lost on the track of the rise of Hitler. Yeah, we, um, can, we can explore that at a future exactly. podcast. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but linking this this topic of war that we have and the topic of death and violence and loss, we can link it to the war in Ukraine currently. Okay. World War One was the war to end all wars, as it yes. was put, and then it resulted in their sons fighting in World War Two. Yeah. And then that was all oh, right. We'll never have another war the same again. And then more wars and more wars, and war in Europe is now again yeah. upon us. I must say, growing up in uh, the 70s and learning about the wars, the world wars at school and the threat of the nuclear weapons, we thought, certainly I thought, we will, I will never see war again in my lifetime. Right. And then at 16, we had the Falklands War. Yeah. And you can then kind of catalogue it after that kind of with Iraq, yeah, etc. Yeah. So to find ourselves again in this position is just horrifying. Absolutely. And it's the actions of one man that have consequences for millions of people. Definitely. And how are we going to stop it? What's going to be the end result? How, what can we do? Well, and, th- and that's the question that I'm sure everyone has on yeah. their minds at the moment. Yeah. If you look back through history, we have, we have a, a theme of... And, and I'm not discriminating against short men, but we have a theme of short European men dictating what happens in their country, which then ends in blood, violence and death. I mean, yeah. Napoleon, mm-hmm. uh, many more, Adolf Hitler, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II, and now Vladimir Putin. It's, it, it's, it's scary to think scary. that one person can carry so much power, power. and so much influence. And... I don't know about you, but I can't see an end to Vladimir Putin's dictatorship or tyranny, which is a really sad thing to... It's a sad endowment, isn't it? And and, and we haven't got all the reasons to go into it, but you'd think if it's a large part of Europe and America against one country, you think the sheer weight of that would be sufficient to bring it to an end. Well, exactly, yeah. But, unfortunately... The world is a, a cruel place. Um, and on that note, unfortunately, although it's a sad note, um, we've come to the end of this podcast. Um, anything that we've said or, you know, anything that you wish to challenge us on, please do. I mean, we invite you to. It's the reason we've created this podcast. We want to we wanna incite thought. We want, we want to give you an opinion or make you think of your own opinion. Um, so please do, please email us, tell us what you think. If you think that we could improve in any way on our Absolutely. podcast, um, email us at podsavetheking22 at gmail.com. Um, if you prefer to message us on social media, our Instagram account is pod.save.the.king. Um, give us a direct message, um, tell us what we need to improve on, and we'll see you next time. That's a goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me. Thanks very much for listening.